Stephen B's media production is a part of the Shellcaster Network. The proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ by members of the Churches of Christ. With your host, Stevie R. Butler. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Good evening. Where we are in the world listening to this radio broadcast. Stevie B's Media Production presents the Gospel Light Radio Show. I'm your host this evening, Stevie R. Butler. And this radio show is being broadcast from Stevie B Media Production at the Carolina Studio in the great state of North Carolina. Ladies and gentlemen, with my co-host, Glenn McMillian from the state of Texas, Dr. Frank Washington Jr. from the state of Florida, Stanley Hubbard from the state of Indiana, Clay Phillips from the state of Georgia, Johnny Morris from the state of Georgia, Yusuf Ford from the state of Indiana, and Brian Christian Coleman from the state of New Jersey. Ladies and gentlemen, we are just grateful for the privilege to bring you a program where we as Christians and members of the Churches of Christ can preach and teach and share the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ on a weekly basis. If you'd like to contact us while we're on the air this evening, just give us a call to the live show at 713-955-0508, or you can go to the Blog Talk Radio website and listen to the show live there. There are over 1,700 live shows on the Blog Talk Radio website at this hour, and you will consistently find this radio show on pages 4 of that website. If you have any questions or comments for any of my co-hosts on this broadcast, you can always send your emails to my new email address, butlersteve1009 at yahoo.com. Or you can call Stevie B Media Production at the Carolina Studio at 910-491-6405. Now again, this program is brought to you by members of the Churches of Christ. And if you need any assistance in locating a congregation in your area, please feel free to contact us. Now, folks, get out your Bibles and stand along with us here on the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Before we go into our program this evening, I would ask you to do a Bible with me in a word of prayer that we may thank God for this opportunity. Kind, gracious, loving Heavenly Father, the Father, of Lord, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for allowing us to go through the various activities of the day and placing it 
on our hearts that we are on this broadcast and we're prepared now to present a portion of your holy and divine word. Father, we pray that you'll be my co-host on the show this evening, Clay Phillips and Stanley Hubbard, as they break unto our listeners the bread of life. And also my co-host, Dr. Frank Washington Jr., who will be answering the questions that are on the hearts of so many. We just pray you'll continue to bless them and their families. They may continue to sow the seed of the kingdom. Father, we pray that you will be with our listeners who are tuning in via Blog Talk Radio as well as through social media. We pray that they may listen well, that they may consider their eternal stance before you, and that their hearts may be pricked. And it will cause them to ask the question, What must I do to be saved? Father, we thank you so much for sending the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who died such a cruel death on Calvary's cross. We recognize that without such a sacrifice, we would not have a hope. Of eternal life. Father, even now, we ask you to forgive us for the transgressions of our own heart. We know our flesh is weak, and we often fall short of thy will. For I pray that you will continue to bless us and keep us and love us all the days of our lives. And if we have been faithful until death, I pray that you will save us. For it's in Christ's name we do ask it all. Amen. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. In the first segment of the broadcast, my co-host Clay Phillips, he serves as evangelist for the Rose City Church of Christ there in Thomasville, Georgia. He'll be making his proclamation of the gospel of Christ. And also in the second segment, my co-host, Dr. Frank Washington Jr., he serves with the West Broward Church of Christ there in Plantation, Florida. He'll be answering our question in that segment. And to close out the show, my co-host Stanley Hubbard, he's the evangelist for the Kinsley Terrace Church of Christ there in Indianapolis, Indiana. He'll be making his proclamation of the gospel of Christ to close out the show. So open up your Bibles now and open your minds and let's have a great show. After the break, the next voice you hear be that of my co-host, Clay Phillips. Enjoy the show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Just for a crown of love in the light. 
listening to the gospel light radio show give your attention to the proclamation of the gospel of jesus christ now my co-host clay phillips good evening it is always good to be in the house of the lord it is always a privilege to stand and preach god's word wherever we are in the kingdom of god it is truly a blessing to be part of the Block Talk Radio Show. I want to give uh, shout-outs to my friend uh, Steve Butler for allowing us and his dream and bring God's word to a dying and perishing world. So it's just good to be in the house of the Lord. I'm the minister of the Rose City Church of Christ here in Thomasville, Georgia, where everyone is somebody, and Jesus Christ is Lord. We are a church bound for heaven. We're not guessing that we're going. We know we are going to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we know we're going to heaven because we are in the body of Jesus Christ. And just tonight, this evening, I want to give you the subject. Then we'll read the scripture. My subject for tonight is the reality of preaching. The reality of preaching. I knew at a young age that I was going to be a preacher between age 10 and 12 years old, I knew that I was going to be a preacher. Um, my grandfather was an elder. My dad was a deacon. Um, and so my uncle was a minister. And as I grew up, I became added to the body of Christ uh, in um 
about 13 years old, between 12 and 13, I became an, uh, a member of the body of Christ. And I remember vividly uh, an incident that happened that caused my grandfather to take notice and to put me into his pocket, so to be, to hang out with him. Uh, there was a a tent guy that was going around calling himself a minister of the gospel and preaching and, and healing and doing all sorts of things that was not predicated on the Bible. And I was up in that tent. <laughs> and somebody told my granddaddy that your grandson, between the age of 10 and 12, is up in that tent. Don't know what the attraction was, but I was I was attracted to uh, the evangelistic part of that gentleman. Even though he was not uh, a part of the body of Christ, but that, that woke up my grandfather to be able to say, listen, I got to do something with my grandson. So everywhere we went from then on, he was taking with him uh, tent meetings, gospel meetings, uh, Brother Billy Washington, uh, Brother J.S. Winston, Brother Reginald Doolin, um, uh, and, and we would go on travel, and my grandfather kept me by his side until I went off to college at Southwestern Christian College. Um, but the thing that was uh, important to me to this day to remember him uh, in black history, to remember my grandfather in the black history, is that he helped me realize and taught me the realization of preaching. Because when I was young, I thought preaching was the epitome of joy, peace, and long suffering, and enjoy the privilege of standing before God people and preaching. But the reality of it came very quickly. <laughs> okay, okay. Let's let's look at the Bible. Let's let the Bible speak, Brother Clay. Romans chapter ten. I want to commence reading at verse 11, and I'm going to terminate at verse 18. That's Romans chapter 10, verse 11 through verse 18. And we find these words written, for the scripture saith, remember that, for the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no different between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 14 says, How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Verse 16 says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who have believed 
our report. That's Isaiah 53. <laughs> and then verse number 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, verse 18, but I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily. The word verily means truly. Their sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the end of the world. This is a reading of our scripture. I want to make sure we understand the subject here is the reality of preaching. I didn't realize the severity, the seriousness of preaching until I had been preaching for almost 25 years. <laughs> and then something happened. I realized this. Because I thought, if we were, that when you got a church and start preaching for a local congregation, that everything going to be all right. Everything is going to be fine. So the reality of preaching uh, brought and help me understand that preaching that the Apostle Paul is telling us that when you are preaching, you need to understand <laughs> that you are preaching to a disobedient people. <laughs> well, let that sink in. When you are preaching, you must understand you are preaching to a disobedient people that are struggling and straining and trying their very best to make it to heaven. And, and it took me years to understand that. It took me years to, to realize that preaching, uh, what, was, what was missing, uh, what was uh we was not realizing, and uh, what I was not realizing as a preacher is the un, uh, the unfulfilled prophecy of preaching. I did not realize the unfulfilled prophecy of preaching. But what is the unfulfilled prophecy, Brother Philip, of preaching? It is that... Uh, the, the struggle is real. That you're going to always, you got to always continue to teach people the word of God. You, you just cannot stop. It is as uh, milk. You got some on milk and some on meat. But they all struggle. And so we all have issues. Even, even the preacher have issues. Are y'all all with me tonight? Even the preachers have issues. So we, we are, let, let me show you something. Turn to uh, 2 Timothy. Everybody turn to the Bible. Now, 2 Timothy, chapter 4. 2 Timothy, chapter 4. And the verse is number 1. 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 1. I charge thee, therefore, before God. So, so the preacher has to be charged. God charged us as ministers. Why? Because when we learn in, in the reality of preaching, <laughs> God knows if I could have done anything else, I would have done it. Because I realize now 
that this thing called preaching is not no Kool-Aid. As my grandfather said, this is not any Kool-Aid. This is uh, bootleg liquor chased by the police. I mean, that's serious kind of stuff. This thing called preaching. A lot of James said in James chapter 3, let not all of us be masters or teachers, for we shall receive the greater condemnation. The reality of preaching. Everybody want to jump up now and be preachers. You better be careful. You better make sure your calling is to be a preacher. Because this thing is just jumping in the pulpit. And I want to be a preacher. You better be mindful. It says, because we are going to receive the greater condemnation. Okay, like says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I charge you, therefore, Paul is talking to Timothy, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the severity of this. I'm charging you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at the appearance of his kingdom. He said, listen, listen, come here, come here. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. That means when they like it and don't like it. You're going to have more time they don't like it. Jesus had healed uh and they walked out the way to him. Jesus did a lot of miracles, and they did not accept him. You remember one case that Jesus fed 5,000, two fish, five loaves of bread. And the Bible says the next day uh, they left, and he asked his disciples, will you leave me also? <laughs> the reality of preaching here, the uh, it says, Paul said to Timothy, he said, be in season, honor season, reprove, rebuke, exalt with all long suffering and doctrine. In other words, you've you got to learn this thing is for real. This thing is going to cause you to suffer. It's going to have you have a sleepless night. It's going to cause you to be struggling. My God. There have been many times I want to say, I, I'm not doing this anymore. I can't do it, Lord. But there's something on the inside of us that made me realize I got somebody got to tell the world the unfulfilled prophecy is that we got to still preach the word of God. Christ has not come back for his church yet. Look, look, look at what it says in verse number 3 of Second Timothy chapter 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, reality of preaching. But after their own lust, Shall they heat to themselves, teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. This is what is happening to the church today. This is what is going on today is that churches, the body of Christ, the church of Christ is losing their mind. We are the new Pharisees, Sadducees, tribes. Come here, come here. We are. We, we, we have lost the compassion for people to be saved. We're more concerned about winning a debate, winning an argument. And I'm not saying we should prove all things. The Bible says prove all things, hold fast to that, which is good. But it also says avoid foolish and unlearned questions. Okay, okay. Now, understand, let's go back to Romans then. Let's go back to Romans. Everybody turn the Bible now back to Romans chapter 10. Let's go back to Romans chapter 10, if you will. 
let me let me say this. Let me say this. Is that uh, Paul in the text of Romans quoting the prophet Joel? This is what he's doing here. See. All things that were written aforetime was written for our learning that we through patient and comfort of the scripture might have hope. So Paul is quoting Joel. So you back up and read uh, in the Old Testament, Joel chapter 2. And you'll see that, that this is what Paul based his theology on here. This is the reality of it. He's quoting uh, Joel. He letting the, the church know the victory of Christ. Is already won. In other words, he's telling the church, he said, understand this. The victory had already been won. He says in verse in verse number 10, this, uh, verse 11, rather, he said in chapter 10, Romans 17, verse 11, he said, for the scripture saith, <laughs> come here, for the scripture saith, whosoever believe on him shall not be ashamed. Why? Because the victory is won. All we got to do is continue to fulfill the prophecy. Continue to preach the word of God. Stay with the Bible. He said, for the scripture said. So now here the apostle Paul is saying, listen, say what the scripture says. Verse 12 says, for there is, now notice now, notice now, Notice, let me give you some, some, some homiletics, then we'll look at some, some targets and bullets, okay? The homiletic of the text deal, Paul is dealing with uh, three things here upon the, for the scripture saying. The three things he deal with. Number one, he deal with the gospel contrast. The gospel contrast. Number two, write this down, uh, in verse number 12, he deal with a much yet remain to be done. There's a lot of work to be done. <laughs> uh, we, this, is, this is not a, a vacation. This is not uh, somewhere we can relax. This is not the time to relax. We're in a battle. We're in a war. And then in, 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 in 12, in verse 13, he's going to deal with uh, the prophet vision must be fulfilled. So there are three things. Verse number 11, he's talking, write this down, he's talking about the gospel contrast. Verse 12, he's dealing with there's much to be done. And verse number 13, he's talking about the prophet vision or the vision of the prophet must be fulfilled. Okay, and then, then we drop down to verse 14 uh, after we get to uh, the, some, some targets there, okay? Let's, let me show you uh, verse 11, 12, and 13. Verse 11 deal with the contrast of the gospel. No one says, for the scripture said. So that means that somebody's saying something that don't, don't need to be said. <laughs> Paul says somebody's saying something that don't need to be said. So he deal with the contrast here, for the scripture said. So that's why in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God on the salvation to the Jew first and then to the Greek. <laughs> so here Paul is dealing with the contrast. He said, listen, there is a contrast in the gospel that 
People are saying things that are not predicated on the word of God. How, okay, okay, let, okay. Let, let, let me share it to you. Y'all, y'all want to hear this. So you back up verse 1 of, of Romans chapter 10. It's in, it's in the Bible. Romans chapter, it's in the Bible, Romans chapter uh, 10. You back up to verse number 1. Verse 1 teaches us what Paul, his, his emotions, his desires, uh, his, his, his challenge, his reality. <laughs> his reality. Paul's reality of preaching. He's teaching us of his reality of preaching. He said, let me tell y'all what blew my mind. <laughs> the Bible speaks, Brother Clay Lee Phillips. Let me tell y'all what blew my mind. So back at the verse number one of Romans chapter 10. He said, Brethren, my heart desires and prayer to God for Israel is <laughs> that they might be saved. I've been trying to tell them, Joker. I, I was a Jew. I'm a Jew myself. And I want y'all to understand, I was a tribe. And I was making sure that the church stayed... Uh, the Old Testament, but God came to me and shook my world, brought reality to me. <laughs> Look at the reality of Paul. He says, Brother, my heart desires and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Now watch this. Watch this. This is the, this is the contrast he's dealing with. He said, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, having not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. That's why he said in verse 11, for the scripture says, you got to stay with the scripture. For the scripture says, he said, I'm, then I'm wrestling with this. I'm wrestling with the reality of preaching. I cannot believe. How ignorant I was. I cannot believe how off I was. I cannot believe this. Notice in verse number four. He said, for Christ is the end of the law. For righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses distributed not the righteousness which was of the law. That the man which does these things should be lived by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaking on this line. Saying not in thine, notice not saying, not in thine heart. Who shall ascend up from heaven? This is to bring Christ down from above. Who, who, in other words, who got that kind of authority? <laughs> I know because I, I thought I had it. Paul, I thought, y'all know what I did. I was, I had the coat of those that stoned Stephen. I thought I could reach up into heaven. And too many of us, Preachers think we can reach up into heaven and bring Jesus down. Stay in your place. Preach the word. Woo! Don't want to say verse number seven. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what says it? The word, the word is not thee or near thee, even in thy mouth. And in thine heart, that is the word of faith, which we preach. <laughs> Let the Bible speak, Brother Caphelus. I'm preaching the word of God, which we preach that save us. Notice now in verse 9, again, 
For if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For then we get to verse 10. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That's what he says. Now, this is the reality of preaching. He says, for the scripture says, learn that. The reality of preaching is what the scripture says. Amen? Then he goes on and says, so the contrast, let me help you out here, the contrast of the gospel you remember when Jesus met the woman at the well? When Jesus met the woman at the well, there was a contrast between her and Jesus. Jesus give me something to drink. She said, wait a minute. What is, what is this going on? You've been a Jew asking me something to drink? <laughs> oh, yes, sir. <laughs> There's a lot of work got to be done here. <laughs> we, got to, we got to understand that the contrast here, Jesus said, listen, he says, uh, uh, I want you to understand something, that, uh, that you, you give me the drink, because I can give you something, I can give you everlasting water, that you never have to thirst anymore. <laughs> oh, that got about And the everlasting water is the word of God. The everlasting water it's the word of God. That's why I don't deviate from the word of God. The Bible. And she said, uh, now, we have heard. Look at her. <laughs> I'm going to paraphrase. You can read it for yourself. John chapter 4. She said, we heard the Messiah coming. Jesus said to her, you, you're looking at him. The reality of preaching. Jesus preaching to this woman, Samaritan woman. The reality of preaching is to reveal Jesus in the scripture. The Bible speaks, Brother K. Philip. It is to reveal Jesus in the scriptures. And the woman said, uh, we worship in the mountain, and y'all worship in Jerusalem, and, and, and Jesus, hold, hold on, the contract, slow down. Listen, the day going to come, whether neither in the mountain nor in Jerusalem, tell you what's the Father. <laughs> but in, 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 drop down to verse 24 to save some time. Yeah, uh, John, 4, 20, John 4, 24. He said, let me tell you, I said, God is a spirit. In other words, don't you follow these uh, men that are leaving of the word of God. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit as well as in truth. God is. <laughs> Give me what you got. Good God of mine. So, so here we find the contrast in verse number, in Romans chapter 10, verse 11, talking about the contrast, how you know, because it says, for the scripture says. Anytime you say, for the scripture says, somebody says something that the scripture didn't say. <laughs> then number, number 12 is deal with uh, there's much to be done. Now, this is going this to uh, hit some of us to the heart. There's much to be done. Verse 12 deal with there's much to be done. Because when Jesus told the disciples in, in, in Matthew 28, go into all the world and preach the gospel. 
to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Go to all the world. In other words, all the world needs to hear the word of God. It is not for some group of people. Now notice now what it says in verse number 12. For there is no difference. So here Paul addresses racism. Come here, come here. Paul addresses racism. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Brother, you emailing now. I, I got to. I got to tell the truth. The reality of preaching is that, number one, we ought to get rid of racism. When preachers preach the Bible, it's not about race. It's about God's word. Notice what it says here. Now, in verse number 12, but there is no difference. Now, here he deals with racism. There is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. We have been dealt with the contrast. Jesus dealt with the contrast. There is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that calleth upon him. <laughs> Whatever you Jew, Gentile. That's why, that's why the book of Acts is so important because the Bible teaches us when the day of Pentecost, Walk for the tongue. There was all one accord in one place, and suddenly came a sound from heaven as a rushing by the wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and they were coming up close to the tongue like it was a fire, and it led upon them. They were dwelling at Jerusalem, all nations. The gospel is the derivative of God saying, listen, get rid of racism. Racism is not going to help us. <laughs> okay, okay, let me, let me say another scripture name. They go to, everybody turn your Bibles now. I, I got to show y'all some scriptures. Y'all are looking at me funny. Turn your Bibles now to Galatians uh, chapter 3. Turn to Galatians chapter 3. Uh, there's much to be done. Hello? And I'm telling you, the body of Christ, the church of Christ, now listen to me, the church of Christ is one of the most segregated church in America. Huh? Brother Phil, you, you, you better be careful what you say. I, I, I got to stand on the word of God. I, I got to tell the truth. Say, the church of Christ, folks call themselves the body of Christ, are the most segregated church in America. Woo! We got a lot of work to be done. We're behind. The reality of preaching is we must tell people there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek or the Gentile barbaric. There is no difference, but God loves all of us. Galatians, okay, okay. Galatians chapter, I'm going Galatians chapter 3. And let's, let, I'm going to save some time because there's much I want to read there. But Galatians, let's look at verse 26. Verse 26 of Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. The Bible says, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized in the Christ, you have put on Christ. There is neither, come here, come here, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. It's talking about racism. It's not talking about 
uh, the male is not the male anymore, the woman not the woman anymore. Not talking about homosexuality. It's talking about racism. That God accepts all of us the same. Hello? Then the verse number 29 says, uh, and if ye be crisis, if you be crisis, then are ye Abraham's seed and hair according to the promise. If you are if you are a true believer, you are you belong to Jesus Christ and you don't you are not a racist. Hello? I'm just I'm just reading the Bible. If preachers had preached the Bible like it ought to be preached, racism would have been gone long time ago. Okay? So the reality of preaching, uh, the, the third homiletic is the the prophecy revealed. Okay? Let's go back to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. And the verse is number 13. Romans 10, number 13. Now, now if you understand this, and you studied it exegetically, you'll find out that Romans chapter 10, verse 13, go all the way back to Joel, uh, if you will, uh, and <laughs> Joel chapter 2, verse 30, Joel chapter 2, verse 32, okay? Romans chapter 10 says, notice now, in verse number 13. Now, this is the prophet Joel prophesying, and, and the Holy Spirit is moving Paul to print this for what for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever the the, the doors of the the doors of the church is open to everybody. Whosoever, regardless of the Jew Gentile, but whatever you are, you are the, the fulfilling of the prophecy. And, and and let's look at uh look at uh let's go to Acts chapter two verse twenty one. Let's go back to Acts chapter two and the verse twenty one. I got about fifteen more minutes. Y'all y'all bear with me. Acts chapter two and the verses number twenty one. And we find these words written. And it came to pass that whosoever called it here it is again. Now here Luke is writing and also about the prophecy of Joel. In the Old Testament, for it is come to pass that whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, that, that's in the book. Then it goes and says, ye men of Israel. <laughs> Y'all got some issues, don't you? Hear these words. You, you need to hear the word of God. See, what changes us? Is when you hear the word of God, believe it, confess, uh, repent, and be baptized, that will make you understand and put you in the body of Christ. Hello? No one says enough. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God amongst you. But he, he did miracles. He did wonders. He did signs which God did by him in the midst of you as ye yourselves also know. You are without excuse. You really want to be preaching. 
the reality of preaching is that we understand that we're preaching to a disobedient people. That 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 discouraged me. And there have been times I said, well, I'm going to give it up, but I couldn't. Because when you call, you 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 can't give it up. You can't quit. It, it's like fire. Shut up in my bone. I got to tell somebody. When, when Moses looked over the promised land and he had struck the rock and God said, speak to it. Now, if you study the, the, the history of that, one time God told him to strike the rock and water came. Then this time God told him to speak to the rock and Moses struck the rock. And that's what, for that reason, he couldn't go to the promised land. Not that he's not going to heaven. He couldn't go to the promised land. How are you going to heaven? Because the Bible teaches us in Matthew chapter 17 that he was with uh, Elijah and Jesus. Okay? So we know he's going to heaven. We must understand. We must understand. Catch this now. We must understand the reality of preaching. It says uh, God was in the midst of you as ye yourselves also know. Notice in verse number 23. Him being delivered by the uh, determination or determinate counsel, the word determinate means exact and precise. God, God is exact and precise. He says, determinate counsel, and for knowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. It's that same Jesus you slain. So as a preacher, you must understand. You must understand the reality of it. People will slay you. You will die for the cause. Uh, you you look over to the promised land. And uh, this, I know this is Black History Month. And Dr. King looked over and said, I've, I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but we as a people get to the promised land. He was talking about the freedom of America, and we're still struggling this day trying to get free. Notice in verse number 24, God, whom God had raised up, listen, 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 listen. <laughs> I got, I got, oh man, I got, uh, according to this, I got uh, four minutes. Whom God had raised up, having loosed and the pain of death, because it was no, it was not possible that he should be hell in hell. Three days and three nights. Yeah, there's something more. He got up. Let me let me close out by verse 14, verse 14 of Romans. And I'm, I gotta let you go. Romans chapter 10, and now verse 14. How then shall they call upon him whom they have not heard or believed? How then shall they believe on him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Preachers, we, God will hold us accountable. How can they hear without a preacher? The great condemnation of the ministry is right here. God will hold us all accountable. Salvation is completely from God, not us. The universal proclamation of the gospel is in four bullets. Number one, because the calling must be perceived by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because faith must be perceived by hearing. 
And in Romans chapter 17, it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Number three, because hearing requires uh, uh, that you've heard, <laughs> it holds you accountable. When you hear the word of God, it validates contents that you are held accountable for it had been better that you not know than to know and oh, disobey. Not saying you're going to heaven because you don't know. You still got to know. But it had been better. You not known that God, hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, this word of God I'm teaching you, even better you didn't hear me tonight. But God says, then the last thing is because preaching requires being sent. There's a beautiful thing about preaching. Number one, the messenger must have dignity and be uh, have benevolence. Number two, the message must be beautiful. It must have a developing uh, process. And number three, the recipient of the message must understand that the word of God, this is what the word of God will do. Listen, 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 I got to stop. The word of God will do three things. Number one, it will take you from despair unto hope. <laughs> word of God. I, this is what I want to preach. I better slow up. The word of God will take you from danger to safety. The word of God will take you from sorrow to joy. I'm the speaker, Brother Clay Phillips. Remember this. Keep it real. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Oh, 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 I won't 
thank you, yeah, thank you for coming, for coming to my rescue. You, you come to my rescue. You come to my With every breath gonna let you know oh, oh, oh. I am accepting though I can't comprehend How I could be worth the cost When I was found despised Lord, I give oh, 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 oh. I give all of my Long as I shall live So long Oh Lord, I want to thank you I really want to thank you For coming For coming to my rescue oh, my rescue Come to my rescue To come to my listening to the gospel light radio show shout it out question we have a question from my social media platform shout it out that we want to pose to my co-host dr frank washington jr he serves with the west brower church of christ there in plantation florida and we also want to encourage our listeners to go to that group there on facebook and get involved in those biblical discussions. Now, here's the question that we're posing uh, to my co-host, and this question is from an anonymous chorus, and it actually is three, four questions that he's going to answer in this segment, and these are the questions. What is the restoration movement? Who are the founders, and what was their goals, and what churches were created? All right, Dr. Frank Washington, is all yours. Thank you, Brother Stevie. Uh, Hello, brothers and sisters and visitors. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your time today to listen to uh, what all of us have to say about our faith uh, in Jesus Christ. Well, tonight, my question is a pretty long question, but let's, uh, let's see what we can do with it. The question is, what is the restoration movement And who are the founders? What was the goal? And what churches were created by those founders? It's a good question. Um, The Restoration Movement, also known historically as 
the Stone Campbell movement. I'm sure many of you know, or or your preacher has um, called out that name, those names, uh, the Stone Campbell movement. That movement is a uh, Christian or was a Christian reform movement that arose in the United in the United States of America. Listen to me. The Stone Campbell movement is a Christian reform movement that arose in the United States of America during the Second Awakening in the late 18th century and early 19th century. That's the history. And the leading figures uh, of that movement were Barton W. Stone and Alexander and later Thomas uh, Campbell. Now, these, the three modern North American religious groups trace their heritage back to the Stone Campbell Restoration Movement. And the churches that uh, were created in that early 1800 period were the Christian Church, uh, the Church of Christ, a cappella, and the Independent Christian Church or Church of Christ, also in the United States. So these three major Christian churches were established or created in the 1800s, and those are the, the, the Christian Church, uh, the uh, Church of Christ, and the International Church of Christ, uh, and some would call them the Disciples uh, of Christ. So Barton Stone, Alexander uh, Campbell, uh, were some of the men who came together to fix this um, unity that was going on. Now, these men came from uh, Methodist backgrounds, Baptist backgrounds, and Presbyterian backgrounds, and other backgrounds. And they abandoned, what they did was, they, uh, they came to the U U.S., they abandoned their formal denominations with the hopes of establishing a church based solely on Christianity taught in the New Testament. Now, with their belief in Jesus was the only model and the Bible was the only sacred book. This is what they endeavored to reestablish Christ's church as it had been in the first century. Now, the restorationists believe that uh, different organizations or different organized denominations had constructed rules and practices that did not explicitly come from the Bible. And their goal was to uh, was for everybody, you know, whoever is 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 preaching from whatever denomination, their goal was for everyone to abandon their denominational prerogatives and become united as one church. One church under God's rule. Now, understanding the Stone Campbell movement takes more than, you know, 15 minutes. Uh, so I'm going to try to get to as much information here as I possibly can. And hopefully you can go and, and research this uh, at your own leisure. Because usually when I do this, it takes almost maybe a month uh, to do it if you do it correctly. Uh, about the Stone Campbell movement. It's an interesting movement, um, and this is where uh, we find ourselves with this question. Now, most people are aware of churches which contain, you know, the name Church of Christ, uh, Disciples of Christ, or uh, Christian Church. 
But most people, including many of the folk who were in those churches, are not aware of the early history of these churches and their founders. Now, this group of churches was, and to some extent still are, the central core of what's called the Restoration Movement. Now, their founders, again, were Thomas and Alexander Campbell and Barton Stone. Many want to sometimes include Walter Scott because he did, he was another major player uh, during that restoration period. Uh, but the major developments of this restoration movement occurred between the 18, early 1820s um, and all the way up to 1866. Um, but the Campbells and the, and the Stones began their movements independently, but had significant mergers in the 1800s. And those unions um, were the foundation for the movement that continues today. So these Methodists, Presbyterian, Baptists, um, and other preachers came together and, 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 and designed and, and created a unified church. And, and maybe I'll get to it later on uh, in this lesson, but most of the grassroots members of this movement or of this organization claim that their true roots go back to the original uh, apostolic New Testament church. And to some degree, that is true. But even those who do acknowledge the role of their founders also claim that the restoration that ensued was a necessarily, or, or shall I say, a reestablishing of the New Testament church. Now, what do I mean by that? Because a question may pop up in your head for, for, with that statement. That simply means that in America, the New Testament church, Church of Christ, um, the uh, community church, the uh, disciple church, it, there was no New Testament church in the United States until that time. Now, we all know that A.D. 33 in the city of Jerusalem, that's when the church was established. Yes, in the city of Jerusalem. But in the United States or in America, many would, many would say that it did not begin until the Stone-Campbell movement uh, began uh, their reformation uh, or restoration, uh, restoration period. Now, these individuals all agreed with the Reformation principle of Scripture alone, uh, rather than ecclesiastically imposed traditions. Uh, but as, you, as, as you're going to find out later, it's the Stone-Campbell movement that stopped short since their gospel bears much more of resemblance to the Roman Catholic view than, than of other scriptures, and, and that's, that's to be debated. But... Uh, one of the most driving points uh, about the Campbell movement or the Restoration movement, one of the Campbell's driving passions was to see uh, the various denominations that were on the scene at that time, which he referred to as sectarian. He wanted to see uh, those various denominations unified by the elimination of what he considered man-made creeds, man-made beliefs, and return to the scripture alone, sola scriptura. He wrote in the Christian Baptist of 1826, and I quote, I have no idea of adding to the catalog of new sects. I labor to see the sectarianism abolished and all Christians of every name united 
upon the one foundation upon which the apostolic church was founded, and that's the church of A.D. 33, end quote. Now, this is indeed an admirable and an admirable goal for uh, the Campbells. The Campbells frequently focused on Jesus' uh, meditatory prayer as he uh, as his followers are supposed to be one in unity so that the world would believe that Jesus was sent according to John seventeen twenty, But in reality, the Stone Campbell movement began more denominations based on the particular biblical interpretation of its founders. Now, a common name for the members of these churches used to be, they used to be called Campbellites. Now, Criticism from evangelicals regarding most of these churches is certainly uh, justified because they have perpetuated a different gospel and numerous other heresies. But among their errors is their belief that all other churches, even evangelicals, are false or apostolic churches. But of course, that Stone Campbell movement is not entirely monolithic because the pattern of theological identity is tied to an individual preacher's New Testament interpretation and not a time-tested, agreed-upon, formal creed, there uh, have been a whole lot of splinters, a lot of splinter, group, uh, splinter groups or offshoots from this. Now, ironically, the Campbellite quote-unquote creed, which says, and you know this, to speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where the Bible is silent. That phrase came from the Campbellite followers. Now, it led to more factions, however, over non-essential doctrines or practices which came to be seen by various individuals as groups, uh, as, as essentials. But some of these doctrinal essentials which separated even the Campbellite churches or the Campbellites included questions over whether or not musical instruments were allowed in worship, whether or not more than one cup could be used in communion, uh, the participation of women in worship, the use of sun these are a lot of things, the use of Sunday school, um, church support of or affiliation with religious institutions like colleges or mission work. There were a lot of other problems that came along with this restoration movement. And so the various Stone Campbell movement churches or denominations existed, they began to exist all over the United States. And, 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 and not only all of the United States, many foreign countries with members totaling between three and, and four million people and even more then. But a large majority of these members have embraced a false legalistic gospel and are deceiving a lot of people. There's a lot of folk out there, not from the Stone Campbell movement, but uh, from others. Now, fortunately, there have been some positive developments. There were some positive developments in recent years, including the recent conversion of some churches of Christ into uh, an, an evangelical mainstream, such as Max Zucato's uh, Oak Hills Church, formerly known as the Oak Hills Church of Christ in Texas. And a lot of you, I think, uh, preachers, you know Max, who Max Lucado is. But also, there's a group of restoration movement pastors and teachers at, at their numerous Bible colleges who've recently formed a subgroup within the Evangelical Theological Society and continue to interact uh, with evangelical scholars. But let's look again. Let me digress, and, and, and I, I probably got ahead of myself. 
let's look at a little bit about the history of the movement. Now, the ideological framework of the early years of the American Republic provided a greenhouse for the growth of uh, the the new religious movement. Uh, the pioneer spirit and distrust of the old world religious traditions gave rise uh, to a challenge to traditional uh, orthodoxies. And that simply means that uh, the growing attitude among many people was that the factions and the confusion, uh, confusing myriad of Protestant denominations, Methodist denominations, Baptist denominations, were the result of departing from the model and teachings of the apostolic church. Barton Stone, Presbyterian minister, he had a struggle with the Calvinist doctrine of election. He wanted the church, all anybody who was a preacher, he wanted that group to become one and go back to the Bible, go back to the first century church. Um, who else? The Campbells, yes. Thomas uh, and Alexander Campbells. A few years after Stone Movement began, another Presbyterian minister, Thomas Campbell, uh, left his native Ireland and came to America, where he also struggled uh, to find a unified church. He he no longer wanted uh, his pastorate in in Western Pennsylvania, and he wanted to get out of that uh, uh, out of that uh, situation. And then we come to uh, another individual who was I haven't talked much about, but Walter Scott the fourth pillar of the restoration movement, as he is called. Also, he was a ra he raised, he was a raised Presbyterian. But when he came uh, to New York from Scotland, he became influenced by George Forster and the Campbells. Um, their doctrines included baptism by immersion, the Lord's Supper every Sunday, and, and a lot of other things. But these individuals came to believe that all these churches needed to be uh, united as one because they wanted to bring the Bible back to uh, the Christian because they saw that everybody was doing their own thing and having their own way and they wanted to go back uh, to the Bible. So in summary, the Stone Campbell movement began with an idealistic motive and that is to eliminate those man-made doctrines, those man-made divisions among the Christian churches or denominations. They aimed to their aim and their goal was to return to the Bible and the Bible alone. But they were wrong not to realize that the time-tested doctrines of the faith summarized in the creeds have a great value in mitigating the subjectivity of human interpretation. So we are called, we are called as Christians, as believers, to study. 2 Timothy 2.15, to study, to show ourselves approved, and even to test all prophetic utterances, whatever anybody says, and hold fast to those which are true. But we're also called into an, a corporate and historical body, and we are wise to be well acquainted with the time-tested uh, movement of the Scott uh, Campbell tradition. But we are thankful that, and that ends my lesson, that question for tonight. Uh, there's a lot more in, involved in this lesson, uh, but maybe the next time we can uh, go ahead and, and, and move forward uh, with that. So, my friend, thank you again for listening, and stay in God's grip. Shout it out question. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.
Listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. This is a program reminder. Stevie B Media Production presents. We're airing live shows here on Blog Talk Radio. The telephone number to the live show is 713-955-0508. And the website is www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash gospel light radio show. On Tuesday evening, I'm hosting a live show every second, third, and fourth Tuesday of the month called the What a Woman Lord Radio Show. And on the second Tuesday of the month, this show will air from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And on that show, we have a guest speaker from the Brotherhood of the Church of Christ who will be making that proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And also during that program, we have the Community Corner segment. That segment is designed for small business owners and entrepreneurs who have products and services for our communities. I also have two co-hosts on that show, Lou Gilbert. He serves as the evangelist for the Oakville Park Church of Christ there in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And Isa Mullins, he serves Church of Christ there in Cary, North Carolina. <clears throat> and the third Tuesday of the month, that show will air at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. And this show will be hosted by my co-host, uh, Dr. Entherica Lane. She's a board-certified obstetrician and gynecologist. And she serves with the Gray Road Church of Christ there in Cincinnati, Ohio. And she'll be hosting her show, Conversations with Dr. Lane. And then on the fourth Tuesday of the month, that show will air at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. And my co-host, Kelly Fletcher, she serves the Livingstone Church of Christ there in Indianapolis, Indiana. And she'll be hosting her show, The Kelly Fletcher Show. Then on Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, I'll be hosting a live show, the Gospel Light Radio Show. And there are eight co-hosts on that show, Clay Phillips, Yusuf Ford, Dr. Frank Washington Jr., Steve Cordo, Stanley Hubbard, um, <clears throat> Johnny Morris, Glenn McMillian, and Brian Christian Coleman will be presenting lessons from the Word of God. And each week I have two of my co-hosts on the air with me. I'm also taking a question from my social media platform on Facebook called Shout Out. I'll be posing to one of my co-hosts on this on that live show. And then on Friday night from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 8 to 10 p.m. Central Standard Time, I'll be hosting a live show, Stevie B. Acapella Gospel Music Blast. And this radio show, the 2022 recipient for the Nakama National Academy of Christian Acapella Music Artists Award, Outstanding Achievement in Record or Radio. On this show, I'm playing some of the world's greatest acapella gospel music artists, the Sweet Sounds of Voices, 
and will also interview an artist, producers, writers, and will also debut a new music and featured old music on that broadcast as well. And every third Friday of the month, we're doing my Top 20 Countdown show. And we also have on-demand episodes. If you can't catch these live shows, wherever you're getting your favorite podcast from, just go to the various musical platforms, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Apple iTunes, YouTube, just to name a few. And we also have recorded version shows. These were album debuts mostly. And the same playlist that was used on the live show was used on these recorded version shows. But these shows can only be heard on iHeartRadio, on DSERF, and also on Amazon Music. Just search for Stevie B Recorded Version Shows. want to thank all of our sponsors for sponsoring these radio shows. If you'd like to become a sponsor, just contact my sponsorship manager, Michelle Marco, from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Her telephone number is 954-687-4705. The three E's of Stevie B Media Production, it is the objective of this broadcast. We want to educate, we want to edify, we want to encourage you in the study of God's Word. And that will conclude our program announcements. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. I know. Thank <laughs> you. 
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Give your attention to the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now my co-host, Stanley Hubbard. Well, bless you today. This is Brother Hubbard of the Kingsley Terrace Church of Christ, a church where God is glorified, the saints are sanctified, and our lives are changed. Do not take the chance of going to heaven without coming to Annapolis and getting the blessing of meeting with the people of God who love the Lord and stand by his side here in the Midwest. May God bless you with strength, peace, and health. We're thankful for this program, a chance to share together from the glorious word of God an insight to how to deal with the pains and struggles of life. I want to share with you something I've done with uh, deals with grief because uh, there's been many deaths in our city of our family and the church here and others across the country I've dealt with. And I want to share a few words with you about this idea of dealing with grief, some some steps of handling grief in an important kind of way. See, grief is love not wanting to let go. Grief, friend, is love that does not want to let go. I want to talk with you about how to take some steps to move <clears throat> past the pain of grief and redefine yourself and the direction of your life. Let me begin by saying there's some statements people make that you really should not make when someone has had a loss. We say things you should not say. Don't don't say what folks have said, like what happened. When a person has gone through a major loss, especially one that's a shocking, traumatic loss, they really are having a hard time repeating all the time the statements. When something initially happens, they tend to need some time to gain their composure and redirect their mind. So try not to keep asking the question over and over again, what happened, what happened, what happened. Another thing you should never say, it's probably for the best, that no one who's had a loss wants to hear his for the best. They are hurting right now, and they don't need you to give some false sense of security by expressing the idea that, well, it's going to be all right and just pass it over. Don't say false concepts like God needed them more. He knows he needed some more angels uh, in, in the, uh, more more roses in his garden. <clears throat> That's not at all the case. They didn't die because God needed them. They didn't die because they're becoming angels because we're already greater than angels. Angels serve us. And yes, God does know what is best, but death does not happen because of God. Death happens because of us. Man sin, therefore the wages of sin is death. Stop blaming God for death, like somehow every time someone dies, God has chosen to pick them out from death. In case you haven't heard the memo, everybody is going to die. So in all honesty, don't give false promises or false statements to accumulate the idea that somehow God has chosen someone to die. We don't die because of God. We die because of us. Also, don't say things like, well, don't mourn and don't be sad. Or, don't miss them. What does that actually mean? Of course I'm going to be mourning. Even Jesus wept. Of course I'm going to be sad. It's a difficult time to deal with this kind of situation. Of course I'm going to miss them. You can't tell someone just don't miss them. You can't dismiss your emotions in that way. It's a false concept and it's very disrespectful to the person who's gone through pain. And also don't say, I know how you feel, because you really don't. I had a loss like that. Your relationship may not be the same as my relationship. Your experience 
And not the same is my experience. So don't presume that somehow, because you've had a loss and I've had a loss, we're on the same page. Our loss is different because we're different types of people. Our relationships have been different and all those things are different about us. You may have had a similar loss in your life, but it doesn't have the same necessarily, the same level of emotion and connection and bond that mine has. And also the concept of repeating wisely as you may feel in the words of job god gives and god takes away blessed be the name of the lord job had no comprehension of what was taking place he's really not making a a a, a theological statement he's identifying what he understands about life itself whatever gift i have from god was a gift given to me by god i need to learn to value what i have and when god allows it to be gone i need to learn to respect that so let's be careful when you deal with somebody who's had a loss and and not begin giving them a set of false statements that give insight that they ought not to gain of your misunderstanding of their struggle can your grief the grief of a grandparent be equal to another person's grief of a child or a relationship breakup. Your grief is your grief. <clears throat> no one can distinguish what your grief means to you. Grief is a very personal experience that you go through. Grief is a highly personal and subjective stress reaction to a real perceived or expected loss. So, so therefore, all grief is different. I can't tell someone because the pain they're having from one type of loss of a pet or whatever it may be is not equal to the pain of someone else. We're all different people with a personal experience called grief. So learn the value of not assuming that anybody else is going to think and be like you in the midst of their hurt, their pain, and their grief. To begin this segment, let me share with you briefly, uh, there are four basic, I'll share with you four of the types of grief that does exist that sometimes we come across. There's a grief that's called acute grief, and acute grief is the, the shock associated with strong emotions. When things happen and you're caught off guard by them, we call that acute grief. It's a grief that snatches you over and takes you over, and you fight with the emotions connected with that grief. There's a grief we call anticipatory grief, and, and that is a, a grief that's a reacting reaction to a life-limiting illness, somebody that you love and care about who's, who's sick, and you know that they're dying, but it's a, it's a day by day, week by week, month by month process. It is called anticipatory grief because it's, you see the person dying, and, and because you see it taking place, you're aware it's going to happen. You just don't know when it's going to take place. Sometimes when someone's taking care of a loved one, that person is sick and having a long-time illness, they can feel guilty about wanting the person to finish seeing them go through the suffering because the, the process is so slow and arduous, it's hard for them to watch. It's called anticipatory grief. It's something you experience. Don't feel bad if you feel that way. It's a natural process when you're feeling like, I'm stuck because I don't know what to do as we're sitting in this place right now. A third type. We call it disenfranchised grief. It's it's uh it's the grief that people would say 
You have no right to grieve over. It's when people identify you loss of a pet or someone died in the media. And why are you crying about that? You don't even know them or your, your ex died or the ex person is going through some pain. And you're, you're hurting because they're hurting. You shouldn't hurt for them. They did you wrong. It's called disenfranchised grief. And, and people, and, and it's, a different, it's a difficult grief to have because sometimes when you're feeling that way, others can't comprehend it and they don't understand it. And they think something's wrong with you because you're hurting over something which they don't think should be hurting you. And last one I'll share with you is called complicated grief. Complicated grief is important to understand because it, is, it, it, it blocks functionality. It can, it can reduce the quality of life. It, it can trigger high-risk behaviors. It's, you can even do what they call grieve yourself to death with complicated grief. Uh, cancer, heart attacks, sleep issues begin to happen because of complicated grief. It's the idea when a person's had a loss six months or a year ago or longer, and they're in the same place they were the day or the week that it happened. It's called complicated grief. And you have to be careful because it can lead to alcohol or drinking or not taking care of your health because you're you're driven by this strong emotion of your hurt and your pain and your challenge. And you, you can't seem to go forward or get past the moment that you're in. It's key. It's key to understand grief is a natural process to go through. But I want you to realize that um, we want to at some point move from grieving our losses to celebrating a person's life. I contend it's very difficult to to be able to to fully grieve and consistently grieve and celebrate a person's life. There's a psychological change that has to happen for you to stop living inside your pain and carrying all the struggle inside your life and transition to a place where you begin to contemplate and think about how to celebrate what that person meant to you. Celebrate, yes, yes, friend. It's important to get to a place where you can celebrate that person's life. Gratitude, you see, gratitude is an important part of self-compassion. You, you must learn to treat you better. Only then can the person's life make sense. And you must be able to see at some point, I must see this is having had some benefit or some value to me if I'm ever going to gain a power and the ability to drive forward past what I've gone through. Why is it so hard to, to be to, to regain happiness after a loss. I know it seems like something you can't. How, how do I supposed to regain my heart or regain my life or recover from a loss like this? Do you understand? I lost my child. I lost my parent. I lost my sibling. I lost my significant other, my mate, my, my life person. How am I supposed to get over that? Why is this so difficult to deal with? I'm sure you've heard of Murphy's Law, right? There's a concept that says your brain has what we call a negative bias. A negative bias is how your brain responds to protect you from danger. See, that bias may stop you from making bad choices. That's the bias that you walk to when you first began crossing the street. They said, stop and look both ways. They shocked you. And so you began to be fully aware. So now this bias makes you more attentive to looking both directions. You're, you fall on the ice before. So, so it's a bias that makes you walk more carefully when things are sad or not, when, when the grounds are icy outside. 
This bias makes you think about what you're dealing with inside of the context of your life. Hurts and pains of your past are things that you are reminded of, but those hurts and pains redirect your thoughts and your hearts and your mind in a way where you can go forward and press forward. You need to value the understanding of a negative bias. That bias can also make you worse. The very bias that protects you from, from making bad decisions and knowing what side of town not to walk on or knowing to look behind you when you're walking around places, the, the bias that protects you because you're aware of the danger can also be your worst enemy. See, that bias can also make you worse by making you more aware of your problems that actually exist. This can make you ignore or overlook what's going well in your life. I'm doing a series right now on Wednesday nights here at the church uh, dealing with anger, but I began by expressing to them uh, what we call a distorted way of thinking. There's some distorted ways that we often think, and your distorted thinking process will make you think in a way where you see things as always being bad or, or, or one thing goes wrong, everything is going to be wrong. Or these, there, there are ways that you can begin to think about life and respond to life that will make you shut down before you should shut down. So be aware, the negative bias is given to you to protect you. It protects you from making the same mistakes over and over again. But it can also make you overlook and ignore when things are going well and downplay even your own sense of recovery. So you must fight the fleshly tendency for negative trauma. Learn the value and the power of expecting change. Now, I want you to get your heart and your spirit around this because this is really key. God, in his ultimate wisdom and brilliance, has placed you in a world of motion. Friend, I want you to know, the only thing that is constant in life, I'll say this again, the only thing in life, the only thing that is constant in life is change. Change. The only thing you can rest assuredly about living in this world is you will experience consistent patterns of change. God has put you in a world of motion. So you, you have physiological change, right? You, you, your body's always... You're always changing out your air. You don't keep the same air. You're constantly in the process of changing out your air. Your physiological change is not just air. Blood is always moving in your body. It's always being recycled and changing. Matter of fact, if your blood ever stops moving, <laughs> stops recycling, uh, your time is up. So the point is that, that God has put you in, in a world of change. Physiological change is constant. Relationally, change is, is constant. People People that you knew 30, 40 years ago or 20 years ago, you may not see anymore. People that you've met now, you didn't know before. People that you knew before, you don't know now. You live in a world of relational change. You're always meeting new people and connecting with new people and forgetting somebody you already knew. God puts you in a world of constant motion and a world of constant change. But beyond that, you don't just have physiological change of blood and air and relational change of meeting new people in different places. You have housing changes. Very few of us have ever lived in the same house we were born in. 
You have residential moves. You lived on this part of town or that part of town. You lived in that house or that apartment. You lived in this city state or that city state or this country and that country. You're in a world of constant motion. And in that world of constant motion, you're also moving in constant motion. There are constant processes of housing changes. But that's not all. God has placed you in a world of cosmos change. The, 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 the planet that you're sitting on doesn't sit still. We're, you, you're so busy spinning and you've been busy spinning for so long, you don't even know that you're spinning. The world is constantly turning and changing, right? So the, the, the earth is moving, right? And the sun is, is beaming in the same way with a consistent pattern of liquid that's moving inside of it. Right? And the stars are always moving. God has put you in a place where constant change is a part of the, of the world you're living in. The earth itself has oceans that's always moving. The birds are moving. The trees are going up and coming down. There's spring, winter, summer, fall. Everything, in, nothing in your world stays as a constant thing in the world you live in. Your education has changed from, from grade school possibly to grad school. But you, you didn't stay in kindergarten all your life. You're not, I would presume, not in kindergarten anymore, but I would presume the idea that you know more now than you did a year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 40 years ago. You are constantly getting a better level of education about the world that you're living in through your experiences or your reading or your seeking of knowledge. You're having physical change. You began in the form of a baby who can do for yourself. And now you've grown to uh, elementary school age child, to middle school, to high school, to, to your 20s, your 30s, your 40s. Physically, you changed. You're in a process of constant movement and constant change. Even for some of us, your employment has changed where you have worked and the kind of work you have done. All these things, God has placed you. In a world of constant motion, physiological change, blood and air, relational change, dealing with people, housing change, cosmos change, the earth moving, the, everything growing, the seasons changing, all these dynamics, stars and motion, moon, moons moving around, education change, physical change, employment change. The only constant thing in life is change. What's wrong with that? There's a problem. What's the problem? The problem is a problem with change. See, the problem with change is if things don't change, I stay in control. The problem with change is you and I have no control. Three core things about people that I suggest you remember. The, the first one is... Uh, Everybody wants a, a savior, but nobody wants a master. I want the Lord to save me, but I don't want him to tell me what to do. Second reality about people is that we're creatures of habit. We're creatures of habit. You, you get up around the same time. You leave to go to work around the same time. You park in the general same area. When you go to the store, you park in the same way. you got your cycle of restaurants that you go to, uh, the times that you go to bed, the time that you get up, the programs that you tend to watch all the time. We are creatures of habit. And because we're creatures of habit, we don't like change. We don't like change. 
Because change offsets my pattern, my schedule. I've discovered for folk who've had a loss in their life, when they have someone who, who dies, who they've been talking to every week, their life is even more disjointed than someone else because it changes their pattern. The problem, friend, is you and I want to be in control. And the problem with change is control. You want to be in control and you can't control unseen changes of, of others. You, you can't control whether someone lives or dies. You can't control if your finances will stay right. You can't control the economy. You can't control the prices. You can't control yourself. You can't control other people. You can't control your kids. You can't control your health. You can't control your job. You can't control the, the weather, your kids, or even yourself. We don't have control. God has placed us in a place and put us in a world where we we have no control because we're in a world of constant change. Why? Why would God place you and place I in a world of constant change? God has fixed it so that you can only have joy when you accept he is the only one in control. So I'm devastated. When a death happens, the word death literally means separation, when a separation happens. Let me just add in this context. Since the word death means separation for a person, almost any kind of separation can feel like a death. A relationship ending can feel like a death. Your, your vehicle you've been putting all your life and heart into is totaled out. Now it can feel like a death. Your pet died. It can, it can feel, because death is simply separation. When you have a separation, you can often go through the experiences of death. But God wants you, your Father wants you to know, I placed you in a world of constant change. So maybe one day you'll figure out you have no control. None. Now, God has done that again. So you realize that if your faith and trust is in him, you trust what he chooses to do and not what you think you can do. So how, how does a person come out of this battle with loss, right? What are the, what are the steps we got to take to walk towards some kind of health and some kind of motivation where we can, we can move together in a healthy fashion? What, what are the dynamics that have to happen for me to move on this path? I'll share some points with you on today. The first one is this. We have a loss. It is natural to focus on the loss. It is normal to concentrate on our loss. And, and, and that can dominate everything. As hard as it is to accept, there is another message that can be gained from your loss. Now, I want to share some things with you that may be hard to hear, but I, I want you to, this is a process of workshop that I've done to, to help people deal with their grief. And I'm going to give you some of this at this time. The, the first one is this. If you're going to find a way to recover from a loss, I first suggest you start by facing grief. So I have those who I work with, first of all, begin to list. List what did you, what did your loved one lose? I believe that when you, the grieving process, <clears throat> part of it is the pain I feel about what somebody I love is not going to have to experience. 
uh, when my mother, father, and my father both died, and my siblings died, I, I hurt for the sense of what we're not going to have a chance to share together. Having what there's an experience they're not going to have to see their grandkids, to travel with me, to to have a chance to spend this quality time we spent together. I want to challenge you, therefore, to list what won't happen because they're not here. Because the part of your pain that's connected, they're not going to be here. They're not going to chance to see you graduate from high school. They won't see you go to college. They they're not going to be there for the wedding. Or they're not going to be there for the family's time together for the reunion. All those dynamics, what are they going to miss? Part of your pain about their, your grief connected with the pain concerning them is what you feel they're not going to experience. List those things down. Once you've dealt with that, I would advocate list what did you lose by losing them. Be honest. It's going to bring some pain. It's going to remind you of tears. Do not look at tears as something to avoid. God has made you in a way. It's natural to allow your body to go through the process. Why did Jesus cry? He was going to bring Lazarus back to, from the dead. Mary was hurting, and so he hurt because she was hurt. It's natural for a person to cry. Three times in Scripture, Jesus wept. I want you to realize there's something natural about this that happens. List what did I lose by losing them? What am I never going to have? The truth, John 8 says, can make you free. You have to be willing to look at your hurt and look at your pain. When we go through trauma in life, we tend to want to avoid thinking, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to cry. I don't want to deal with it. I want to duck and avoid it. You cannot avoid things in life. If you're going to be strong and mighty and powerful, if you're going to go forward, you're going to have to be able and be willing to face the reality that things have gone wrong. Look at your hurt. Look at your pain. Look at your struggle. Look at your complication. Face it head on and say, yes, yes, I am hurting. This has been hard. This is difficult. I don't like this. I understand. But you can't get through this without facing it. So the first half, and I'll give the next half when I present to you again. The first half, I want you to focus on, number one, list what did your loved one lose. Secondly, you're going to list what did I lose? Why is it hurting me? If you don't know why it's hurting you, you can't walk through this. Now, once we've identified why it's hurting you, I want you to see something. There's two things I advocate people do to walk through this process. I'm also a therapist, in case you're wondering, as a preacher. So, so I want you to understand there's some things I would add to this. But once you address those two issues in your, in your journaling, and journaling is important and essential, but in your journaling, what did your loved one lose and what did you lose? We have to get your mind in the right place for the next steps. Psalm 96 and verse 11 says this. Let the heavens rejoice. Hear this. Let the heavens, the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Verse 12 adds, let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. I want you to know God has planted you in a world of living things. So this is called ART, and, and this deals with the term, stands for attention restoration theory. I want to offer you two models which will cost you nothing, but should help with your mental health and your grieving. Once you face your pain, 
the listing we talked about and looked at that and did with your cry and did with your pain and faced that and gone through that to some extent, you have to get to the place where you practice a level of calmness. Once you face your pain, you need a calmness to face your future. Now, I advocate two concepts. One is called, you may have heard of mindfulness meditation. The other one is called attention restoration theory. Now, what attention restoration theory is, it suggests concentration is better after spending time in nature or smelling sense of nature. The reason that you want to go to Florida or go spend time on a beach for a vacation is because God has given you something connected to you with nature. You come from this stuff. You come from dust. Your body is from the dust. It'll return back to that dust. You are not that dust. You are soul riding inside this dust. But there's a connection with it. And there's some natural healing, natural consequence that comes with being in nature. Whether you go camping, whether you sit on your back patio and look at the trees and watch the birds fly around and the squirrels chase each other. There's something natural in that that's a healing, restorative capacity you can receive. Natural environments, we call those soft fascinations which allow effortless attention like when the clouds are moving and leaves are rustling or water is bubbling from the stream philosophically nature has always been seen as a source of peace and energy that's why the Lord would take off and get away from people it's been time in the nature that he's spoken to existence so I want you to see, I want you to see. So ART, this attention restoration theory is getting to a place. It, it impacts the consequences of mental fatigue and it gives practical interventions to restore your cognitive well-being. It protects from mental fatigue and the depletion of the ability to maintain attention. It increases focused attention. It limits distractions inside your life. It will enhance decision-making and problem-solving skills. Realize that, that restorative environments help you rest. So, so whether you're laying in the grass or as you did as a child or whether, whether you're at the beach somewhere or sitting out by the tree and watching the wind blow the tree, God has given you restorative principles around you that can bless you. Part of the step to getting past your struggle and past your pain and past your sense of loss is realizing there's something healthy about being in the nature that God made above your Facebook page and sitting and watching TV. Now, in addition to attention restoration theory, I would advocate some mindfulness. Mindfulness meditation, I think, is important because meditation, the Bible talks about this idea of meditating even on the word of God. The practice, a purpose of bringing your attention in the present moment without judgment is what mindfulness is. And I, I love this concept because it reminds me of our children. What frustrates you about two, three, and four-year-old kids is that, that they are valuing the thing you forgot about. See, you don't want to lick the table and lick the floor and lick the glass because for you, that's dirty and that's nasty. But for that child, they are still distinguishing the difference between how the tongue feels and when it tastes different things. You've forgotten that. You know what it's like to taste and don't even taste your food anymore. Why is a child spinning in, in circles and making itself dizzy? Because you forgot what it's like to have that new experience. You've forgotten what it's like to touch to touch glass and to touch the, the touch concrete and to touch brick and, and to touch uh, the, the carpet and to touch the sofa. You forgot what those things feel like, but your child is experiencing it for them. It's all new. Mindfulness is taking your mind back. And what it does, I want you to understand the significance of this because it makes you learn the value of appreciation. You must learn to appreciate nature and learn to appreciate the gifts that God has given you. 
The power of your eyes to, to see things is beautiful. You've got to be mindful about what you notice. Stop focusing on the things you normally see. Look for what you don't see. Listen for what you don't hear. Uh, taste what you've not tasted. Smell the things around you because God, mindfulness allows you to experience that. Paul said in Colossians 3 verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. I want you to know mindfulness is a, is a step toward getting you in the mindset of dealing with your hurt and your pain. There's some benefits of this mindfulness, which is really learning the value of, of valuing the senses God has given you. To listen again, to smell again, to taste again, to touch again, to experience life again. Studies would say that there, I'll give five brief benefits of mindfulness and I'll close with you. But, but one, it, it can decrease stress. It, it can trigger less avoidance and more approach coping uh, response than relaxation or self-affirmation control. It can help you to relax and take it easy. Mindfulness will enhance your ability to deal with illness. People who have cancer practice mindfulness and they actually feel better. It, it won't move your symptoms, but it makes them more manageable. Mindfulness has been known to be a facilitation of recovery. Even with terminal illnesses, one can find increased self-kindness, a vigor, and a spirituality because they're being more mindful with the gifts God has given you to use inside this body. It will, it will also uh, give you decreased depressive symptoms. It can, it can decrease being depressed, having anxiety, as well as Increase your self-compassion. It helps you to regulate your emotions. And last but not least, let me share, it will improve your general health. It helps with health behaviors. It, it helps with heart health and increasing positive acts like avoiding alcohol and, and smoking and drugs and being physically healthy. Mindfulness is important, but all it really is is learning how to take the basic gifts that God has given you. And using them all over again in a brand new way. And it learns, you learn to appreciate. When I learned to appreciate the grass and the birds and the wind and the, and the, the way the clouds move and, and my own senses I have access to. When I learn to value and appreciate them, when I'm saying, thank you, Lord, I can smell, I can see, I can taste, I can experience the basic things of life. Once you're able to be thankful for that. You're ready to learn how to be thankful for God pulling you through your pain. And our next time together, I will go further and share with you the next level. We talked about the two first pieces of getting past your grief. Next time I talk with you, I'll review these with you, but I'll come back also and give you the next two to give you insight. I pray for you that if you've gone through hurt and gone through pain and there's a struggle in your life and a struggle in your heart, God has given us resources that he has made that can help you to walk through your pain. You are not alone. He stands with you. The family of God stands with you to give you strength and give you peace, even in the midst of your loss. May God hold you in the palm of his hand. May he give you the peace only he can give. And may you value that the only thing in life that is constant is change. And in the world of change, you've got no choice but to trust the one who's in control. Let's go to God together for a word of prayer. Father God, we come to you in awareness of your mercy, your peace, your loving care, your kindness, and your grace. 
Thank you, Father, that you've done. Bless those who hear this word who are hurting and struggling. May they know there's a path and an answer if we hold to your unchanging hand. Thank you for your care. Thank you for your loving mercy, your peace, and your grace. May we let you help us to become more and more like you. And now, in the name of the one who calms all waters, and in the name of the one who can calm every sea, and in the name of the one who can speak a world into existence with just a word, it's in the gracious and mighty name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. May God bless you. Be blessed. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.